Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Sharp Lessons, everybody. Happy Thursday. We are Stadium Sports Betting Podcast. Ben Wittenstein with you. We got Michael Rizzo. We got the Professor Nate Jacobson. And guys, we don't have any more NBA to bet on because the NBA season is officially over as of Tuesday night. The Bucks win the NBA title in six games. The Bucks in six moniker came true. And uh, it was a fun game. The under hit, which was great. We all thought the under was going to hit. So that was good for us. I think we had a pretty good day for best bets on Tuesday. But Bucks won it, and uh, no more NBA for a couple more months. Yeah, we started this show on May 17th, which was a day after the NBA season came to a close, the regular season, and a day before the play-in round started, the play-in series, the was it the 10-9 games, the 7-8 games, and we knew those teams weren't going to be big factors in the NBA playoffs, but we uh, we sludged our way through the last nine weeks and finally crowned an NBA championship. And when we were first starting this podcast, the second week, we were breaking down all eight series, which seems pretty crazy how much time we spent on the NBA. And it got a little bit easier with series, you know, less series going on, but it was a good uh, finals, I think, and a definitely uh, nice to end on a high note for the podcast with the best bets, not only the under coming through, relatively easily maybe in the third quarter there was a little bit of worry but the fourth quarter played out kind of how we expected but the big one Bobby Portis <laughs> over seven and yeah. a half plus money and I listened back at that best bet podcast or the section yesterday um, on the podcast feed and Ben made something like Bobby Portis carrying like the bucks to an NBA title and even though Giannis got the 50 Bobby Portis probably was the second most productive player on the court and he made an instant impact. He went over his point total right away and ended up adding on. So if you got, uh, yeah, Bobby Portis, great, great call Rizzo on, on that best. Yeah. Bet. And what a way to end uh, the best bets in terms of NBA playoffs. Yes. Thank you very much. He, uh, you know, his minutes, as we had talked about, they had been there. The production might not necessarily, uh, had been there in the previous games, but, he took 10 shots in game six, which was more than he had in the others. And he made six of them, two of which were threes. He actually hit his first two threes from the field. So he had six yeah. points basically right away. And it was just one of those where you were waiting for that final bucket. And uh, he's actually scored pretty quickly thereafter. And as you mentioned, in the first half, he had 10. And it was a, a quick and easy Bobby Portis over. And as you said, uh, six of 10 shooting, 16 points. He really did kind of spark that second, not that second quarter run, because that's when the Suns came back, but he really helped weather the storm as far as uh, it went for the Bucks. Got in Chris Paul's face a little bit, brought the energy. 
needless to say, a lot of Milwaukee Bucks fans are uh, now big time Bobby Portis fans. He hit that uh, he hit that first three and I was like, okay, this is a good sign. And then he hit the second one and I was like, oh yeah, this is good. This is hitting. So that felt good to see. And I think at one point he had the only Bucks points in what was it, the second quarter for like five, six minutes. He had yeah. the four it, points. Yeah, the Bucks only scored 13 points in the second quarter after jumping out to a 13 point lead. And and it's a good thing Bobby got those out of the way quickly, not just for his confidence, but also in his 23 minutes on the court. He had five personal fouls, and the only other player <laughs> on the Bucks who had three or more personal fouls was exactly three, Chris Middleton, who had 41 minutes and is facing a lot tougher defensive assignments. So Bobby did everything that uh, that kind of six-man energy guy does, and he was a very key part of that game because we were talking about having the under, and part of the reason the under ended up being such a good bet was the Suns shooting 24% from three, the Bucks shooting 22% from three after both teams were 50% or more from three in game five when the total sailed over. So we got the shooting regression we really needed, especially from three-point range for both teams. And Drew Holiday, four for 19, 12 points. I know he is asked to uh, take a brunt of the defensive responsibility with the, the Suns guards, but he was miserable offensively. And Middleton, outside of that big shot that extended – to a six-point lead and kind of make it a, a comfortable finish for Milwaukee. He wasn't great offensively, as as Giannis was clearly the, uh, other than Bobby Portis, Giannis with that 15-burger <laughs> was clearly the star. I know Middleton Rizzo gave you just like a little sliver of hope that maybe he'd have a chance to compete for finals MVP. It, I mean, not really, right? It was <laughs> one of those things where you, you knew you needed a, a – a Giannis bad game and a middle, like if they would have flipped and Middleton dropped yeah. 50, then I think I might've had a legitimate argument, but Nate nailed it. Very narrative driven award. Adam Silver, as he was announcing it, even said this guy played through injury, battled back from his knee. So it was all set up perfect for Giannis and he really did deserve it. Uh, 16 of 17 from the line or 17 of nine, something crazy from the free throw yeah. line. It was, it was 17 from 19. I think one of his two misses yes. were in his last set of three throws. So yes, yes. We, we, we harped on his three throw line struggles, especially on the road uh, last week when he had that kind of bump in game three, when they were back in Milwaukee, I believe the 13 of 17 in game three after really struggling uh, just throughout the playoffs, especially with the away fans heckling him. But he, that part of his game was was good for that one night. And you know, in a, in a sports, a lot of times it's about small sample sizes and outlier performances. And maybe it was an outlier performance, but it came at the right time for him. Absolutely. And I saw that uh, there was actually a bar in Milwaukee that was giving out a free shot for every oh, no. Giannis free throw made. So I wish we had a live, I wish we had a live cam at game six. Cause I do not think they were expecting 17 Giannis free throws to go through the hoop. That's a promotion that gone wrong. If I've ever heard of one, <laughs> I love it. So since the start of this podcast, it's been, as you said, Nate, pretty much all NBA. We've focused a lot on the NBA. So with that being said, because this is sharp lessons and sticking with the theme of, school and learning stuff as we look back on the NBA playoffs and the NBA finals that we were betting. What are some lessons, what are some takeaways that you learned for betting in the series for the finals, betting the playoffs so far, betting player props as we did a lot every week. 
Um, Nate, I can start with you, but what, what are some takeaways? What are some betting takeaways, betting lessons that you learned that you may take into next season once the NBA starts up in the fall? So I think kind of the big takeaway was just, you know, it's unfortunate, just the amount of injuries that happened to star players, whether they were limited, missed time, even coming down to the NBA finals where we weren't sure if Giannis was going to play. But even before that, Kawhi Leonard, Chris Paul missed time. I know Luca was limited. Uh, Joel Embiid, which really kind of flipped Philly's chances. Of course, Kyrie Irving. James Harden. So just a lot of injuries. Anthony Davis, if we look back to even longer ago, which feels like a very far time ago. But I mean, yeah. in the Lakers example, they were minus 900 going into game four against the Suns. And traditionally, that's, you know, always the team that's favored to one playing at home. That's strong of a favorite with LeBron James. You would have never thought the Lakers would lose that in that kind of setting. And, and they did because of a key injury. And I think that takeaway and lesson is maybe not worrying about betting futures so far in advance, hoping that, oh, maybe you're getting a, a little bit of a better number. Kind of wait and see as, as the series goes on and, and make bets more on a game-by-game -game basis as opposed to tying up your money for so long with so much uncertainty and potential of injury because we're going to have another shorter offseason this year. We're going back to the 82-game schedule, probably going to start – that mid-October time that it usually does at the NBA and where a lot of teams played into June and, and two teams played well into July. So I'd be a little bit cautious betting any futures. And, and when it comes to like a playoff series, kind of holding off on making a, a position before the series, maybe just going on a game-by-game -game basis. And that kind of goes to my other takeaway. I look back at all 15 series and the team that lost uh, – Game one ended up coming back seven times to win the series. Um, it was eight in the first round or eight series in the first round, um, four in the second, two in the in the conference finals. And, of course, the finals because, uh, you know, it's 16 teams. So everyone gets eliminated other than the champion. So I think not like game one's a throwaway, but it just seemed there was a lot of examples where how game one played out wasn't necessarily what the teams are. So maybe look to continue to back teams that lose game one, especially if they were the favorite going into game one and not over panic just because of one result. So I think those are my kind of two takeaways in terms of betting the NBA playoffs next year and beyond. With that being said, uh, you guys want to look at some futures for next season? <laughs> I would love to. Yeah. I think that's I mean, a great idea. Might as well. The, I'll say this, the futures are entertaining to kind of get a gauge of what like they think the betting market thinks, especially before free agency and when free agency and trades happen, we'll kind of see where the movement is. But if you're tying your money up right now and, and taking that precious capital and, and, and putting <laughs> it on the NBA when we have a full football season ahead, then I, I'm not sure exactly what you're doing. Yeah, betting on credit is a is a topic for a, a second podcast that we'll do. <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll, we'll release that late at night or something. <laughs> so for those title odds, you do have the Nets as the favorite, plus two hundred as they start they start next season as the uh, not super heavy favorites, but fairly heavy at plus two hundred with the Lakers second at plus five at five twenty five, and the Bucks are uh, nine to one in third place. So I could say right off the bat. Like you said, Nate, it's a short off season. And as we saw 
with the Lakers, as we saw with the Heat last season. They really did struggle towards the end of the year, deep and getting into the playoffs. So they were limping in. They had injuries. They were out of sync. They just looked overall tired. And I think a huge attribution to that would be that short offseason. So I, I, if anyone is even thinking about betting the Bucks to repeat, I, I would just hold off a little bit. I think you could probably get a better number once the season starts beginning and, and maybe they start losing a couple games early on just because of overall exhaustion from a short off season. So my only advice here, like serious advice would be hold off on the bucks, um, hold off on some teams that went deep into the playoffs. Um, so I, that's probably the strongest advice I could give in a situation like this, especially with the Bucks, because we have the Olympics starting upcoming and Chris Middleton, Andrew holiday are both representing team USA. So they're going to ha- go right from Milwaukee. They're probably already on the flight or in, in Tokyo. So they haven't had much time to kind of enjoy with their team to win. And now they're going to be asked to play across the world for two weeks and kind of they'll stunt their, uh, their off season rest schedule. I don't know how much time they're going to be able to rest before they get back into the gym for Bucks training camp. And based on Giannis's Instagram, I'm sure he's going to have a fun off season uh, in Milwaukee. Oh, yeah. And even though the Bucks are kind of that team that like, I wouldn't go, I'd be very leery betting them under their win total just because they win a lot of regular season games. Uh, that was kind of the reputation of them, a really good regular season, uh, regular season team that would lose in the playoffs and in, in heartbreaking fashion, whether it was to the Raptors two years ago or that disappointment against the heat. So I don't know if I'd go under the Bucks win total because they're just going to win a lot of games just because of how they're built. But I agree with that. They they might just take on a little bit of a step back. And I can see them being a t- team you want to fade early in the year, especially with the uh, two of their, their second and third best player off in, uh, in Japan for the Olympics right now. Yeah, I think the one thing that I have to add is the Nets at two to one is just absurd. I feel like without a doubt, there will be a time that you can find a better number than that two to one. And on the same coin, if they come out and they're setting the world on fire and playing great, that two to one is about as, you know, it's already so low. How can it get much lower? So I think If you like the Nets, definitely wait, 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 wait. You never know what might happen. Maybe they lose one of their big three for a month and a half and they take a little bit of a hit in the standings and and you see the number drop even just a little bit. But if I were you, I would not lay two to one right now in July on the Nets to win next year's title. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, I just it's like I said, this kind of looking at exercise that we're doing is kind of seeing how odds makers view teams for next year. And that's necessarily need, like you need to bet it, but yeah, go ahead, Ben, what, whatever you had to add on, on Brooklyn. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, you could probably almost guarantee you can get the nets at a better number simply because I think they saw what happened in the playoffs this past year, where they were still struggling with injuries. Guys were in and out of the lineup. I would expect the nets to play a, a regular season with a lot of caution. So that probably includes keeping players out for an extended amount of time, even for smaller injuries and just really playing that load management game with their three superstars, considering how injury prone all three are and have been. So the Nets losing, you know, having a losing month, I don't think is out of the question. And if that happens, you're going to get them at a much better number than two to one for sure and, to win the title. And the 76ers are 16 to one. If they can like somehow pull off the Damian Lillard trade, 
then the Nets yeah. would just kind of drift because the Sixers would go up, whether it's justified or not, or not, depending on what you think of how what Lillard would impact or how much of an upgrade he would be over Ben Simmons. But like Rizzo said, you can get a better number. One team, I think the line I could see uh, getting shorter as the season goes on or as the offseason goes on before the regular season is the Warriors at 13 to one. They're the same odds as the as the NBA runner up Phoenix Suns, who have a few question marks, whether or not Chris Paul returns. But Clay Thompson expected to be back from his injury, hasn't played in two years. Steph Curry, Draymond Green, and they have two lottery picks. And it sounds like they just kind of reading a few reports are going to look to add a piece to help this current core as opposed to use those two lottery picks to build for the future. So I can see the Warriors not being at 13 to one by the, when, when the season starts. And I kind of like that because they've missed the playoffs the last two years. So there's kind of been a little bit forgotten about, and we have to remember that they made, was it five straight finals and, and was sometimes the odds on favorite to win the NBA finals during some of those regular seasons when, uh, they were rolling, and LeBron was in Cleveland. Any any so, Nuggets love from you guys? Twenty to one, getting Jamal Murray back, got the MVP on the roster. Well, I mean, they're and it's kind of another team like the Clippers and the Nuggets. They're both well. The, so the Clippers might not have Kawhi Leonard just because he might leave, but he tore his ACL, so he's who knows when he's going to come back if he did decide to resign with the Clippers. That's a total question mark. But with your question with the Nuggets. Jamal Murray tore his ACL in April, so he's not going to play for, I would imagine, at least half a season, maybe more. But, yeah, 20-1 to 1 on a team that, when healthy, if they can fully get healthy, play up to their potential, that might be worth a look uh, just because of how good that they were set up when Murray was there. Just I, I think they were built to... I, I mean, if Murray stays healthy and with all the craziness, this NBA playoffs this past year, who knows what, where the Nuggets could have gone. They would have definitely been a, a title contender. So, yeah, the Nuggets, not the most sexy team from a brand recognition. So that might be a, a good place to look and a number that gets shorter. I would just be a little cautious in case Murray has some sort of setback. Yeah. We'll have a lot more NBA stuff once the season starts, too. Or right before the season, we'll have a big... Yeah. NBA preseason futures day. Definitely. And I think even as free agency goes on and we can, if there's any big drastic shifts and in, in title odds, um, that'd be worth addressing, especially if any big yeah. stars move, um, whether it's their three agency or the trade market. All right. So let's just a little bit of MLB. Um, and I know Rizzo, you had some things to say about the MLB and I don't know if this is exactly a, cover of the week but it's something and it's royals beating brewers on wednesday and it was something that we were texting each other about on wednesday kicking ourselves for not hitting the royals because most of the brewers pitching staff and i think like half the team was at the bucks game six finals game um and they were drinking partying having a good time and doing everything bucks fans were doing hanging out i'm sure late into the night and of course we should have hit the Royals on Wednesday. It was an afternoon game, too, for the Brewers, and they ended up losing that game. Um, what was it? I think it was 6-3 to three was the final score the Royals won. So I don't know if that's a cover of the week or just an obvious bet of the week, but it's definitely something, and we should have seen the Royals beating the Brewers after that. Well, back in the uh, 
when Rizzo and I were on the uh, payoff pitches baseball show that was uh, ran in 2019 on Twitter, I had a, they set up a graphic for me, Nate's nightly narrative, where I'd find a narrative about a certain player and give them that the reason why you should play them in that particular slate. Uh, last night would have been like kind of the ultimate narrative horse spot. It's hard to like identify bad spots in baseball because it's so starter pitcher starting pitching driven. And usually the starter pitcher is pretty focused, but last night or afternoon would have been a good time to fade, fade the brewers um, off the, you know, whatever happened in the city of Milwaukee with all the craziness and having the day game that Tuesday and then having the day game, the next game and that day game on Tuesday was moved earlier because of the bucks hosting game six in Milwaukee. And as you said, there was a lot of players partying. Kristen Yelich was sitting courtside. Uh, they were kept showing him on TV. So that was one of those things where if if there, that was a night game, I probably would have realized that that betting angle, but because it was that one o'clock game, um, I didn't realize it. And that's just kind of the, the downside of me just not betting baseball daily and maybe identifying some of those things. All right, so Rizzo, you got some stuff you want to talk to MLB about MLB with us about. Uh, what, what are some things you're going to be looking at as we kind of head towards the end of July and into August and down into the final stretch of the season? Yeah, you know, the the thing that I was talking to, that we talked about uh, over All-Star break was we were identifying teams that we thought had value going into the second half. And I think that this, you know, the first week or so after the break has been a good lesson kind of on how fast things can change. Uh, we were one of the teams I personally identified. And I know Nate was talking about him a little bit as well was the uh, the New York Mets, who we were expecting a better second half from Pete Alonzo, Francisco Lindor to play better. A couple guys coming back from injury rumors that they were going to be buyers at the deadline. Ronald Acuna and their division rival getting hurt. All the things were kind of pointing up for the Mets. And now we look a week later and Jacob deGrom is on the IL. Francisco Lindor has an oblique strain and has no timetable for his return yet. And it's just uh, uh, they, they play the Pirates and blow a six to nothing lead in the eighth inning. You know, it's just all of a sudden the Mets are kind of a laughing stock again, even though they are still near the top or at the top of the NL East. And I think it's just a good lesson in, you know, you can never, nothing's ever a lock. Uh, things can change, especially when, you know, we were looking at a, a guy like DeGrom who, who has battled injuries a bit this year. They, they've done a really good job kind of limiting those injuries to he misses one start here, one start there, but now it's getting to the point where he makes a start, he misses a start. And, and that's, you know, when you're trying to win a division, that's that's not what you want to see from uh, your your ace. So uh, just the first thing was uh, how quickly things can change. The Mets are now struggling a bit. Their next month definitely looks a little bit murky. They can still be buyers. Uh, we're still hoping Carlos Carrasco comes back and contributes. But uh, for now, that's definitely my, my over 88 and a half that I took is something that I'm a much more, much more leery on. Yeah. And with that division, we also kind of talked about how it was pretty wide open and pretty crazy with the, some of the run differential numbers and that there was kind of like a four pack of teams that maybe could catch the Mets, maybe outside the Marlins uh, who actually you kind of, you tipped at maybe a hundred to one worth, not worth, <laughs> not, uh, you know, worth a bet. 
But the Phillies, Braves, and even the Nationals are still kind of in striking distance of the Mets, even though the odds have kind of stayed the same towards the All-Star break. Is there one of those three teams that you like the most, whether it's the Phillies with some pretty good starting pitching or maybe even the Nationals who, if they stay at, stay pat at the deadline and don't become sellers, whether they trade like Max Scherzer or something, could maybe make a, a late run like we've seen them do before? Yeah, I wish the rumor on the Nationals was that they were going to be buyers because that's a team that I could get behind a little bit. But unfortunately, there's no rumblings of that right now. Um, it's more so the talk of will they sell, which is enough to keep me away. And I, I guess right now you're looking at the Phillies kind of trending up, whether it's their own play or uh, just kind of the fault of the other teams in the NL East. But that's a team who has a pitching staff that you can get behind with Nola and Wheeler. And then Zach Eflin's actually been uh, not too bad this year. So I think that the uh, the Phillies are, are now, if I had to pick, uh, I would probably shift from the Mets to the Phillies to win that NL East. But I do hope that we see DeGrom back and healthy and the Mets continue to buy and, and they are the team that uh, that wins that division. And the Phillies upcoming four-game series against the Braves, so maybe that kind of could eliminate one of those teams or one of those two teams because can emerge as the biggest competitor to the Mets as we kind of head to the trade deadline, which maybe there'll be some teams that really – up their roster, bolster the roster, and the, their lines or odds in the futures will be cut a little bit because of it. A.L. Cy Young, you said it was a bit closer than I think people think right now. Garrett Cole, minus 115, I believe, is the favorite. And then you have Rodon at plus 190, Lance Lynn plus 400. What are your thoughts on that one, Rizzo? Yeah, I just think I, I don't necessarily have like, oh, this dark horse is who you should bet. But I do think the AL Cy Young is much more wide open than uh, these odds imply. Uh, if you look at Garrett Cole's June, it was very bad. We know the sticky stuff, uh, his spin rate way down. Now, his last two starts, he has looked like an ace again, but he had about a five or six start stretch where it was pretty bad. A lot of, lot of, not very good quality starts, low strikeout numbers, things you didn't necessarily see from him. And it was enough of a sample size where there was concern. Uh, whether he can right the ship or not, that's kind of what this bet is pending on. I think that when you're looking down this board, there's guys at 45 to 1, 50 to 1, even 60 to 1 that have chances or an outside shot where if they go nuts this second half, uh, they can really make a stake to at least be in the top three for this award. And one guy who I personally put a bet on that, you know, I am a White Sox fan, so let it be known. But Lucas Giolito, he just went out and he threw a complete game, one run uh, victory against the Houston Astros. And I checked after the start and his number didn't change. It was still sitting at 65 to one. So that's just an example of kind of hunting and seeing what you can find. And I think that, you know, if Lucas Giolito comes out and has a second half similar to when we saw him break out as a legitimate ace for the White Sox, you're going to see him fly up this board as somebody that we talk about who has a shot to win the Cy Young this year. Is there any worry with like the Giolito? I know it's a big number, so maybe it's not a huge worry, but that his two teammates are second and third in the odds. And there's a pretty big gap between the next tier that maybe in terms of voting, they would split votes or is that kind of irrelevant to you? 
I, I think it's it's a fair concern. I will say that when you look at numbers, Carlos Rodon is definitely someone that can win this award. And if he keeps pitching the way he will, or the way he has been, I should say, uh, he is somebody that will stay right there at the top. But one thing with him, the Sox have been limiting his innings. Uh, they, they want him healthy for the playoffs. They've said that many times, and he's never pitched as many innings as he has so far this season. So he's someone that the Sox are kind of looking to maybe miss a start here or there. So that's a guy I think we could see his number kind of drift a little bit just because he's not getting the same opportunities. I actually think one thing the White Sox will do is um, start giving Michael Kopech some starts here and there, which means they might go to a six-man rotation, which could end up hurting all three White Sox guys. But uh, just an example of, you know, Garrett Cole being minus 115, minus 120 where you look. And I, I don't think he should be as big of a favorite as he is. White Sox Brewers, we know you're a big White Sox guy. So what what, what are we expecting from White Sox Brewers as we uh, look ahead to that one? This is just a, a series that I wanted to circle for those of you who listen that are baseball fans, right? You, uh, you look this up. It's going to be Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Sunday night is going to be on ESPN National Broadcast. And you just have uh, a pitching matchup. Nate and I were talking about it. It's what you would see if these teams squared off in the playoffs or even, you know, if they both made it to the World Series. Maybe not necessarily in the order that we're getting, but it is the three best starters for each team. And it's exactly what you want it, you would want out of, as a baseball fan. Friday night, we have Lucas Giolito versus Freddie Peralta. And if you guys haven't looked up Freddie Peralta's numbers this year, do yourself a favor and do it. He has been awesome. And then Saturday, we go to Rodon versus Corbin Burns. And everyone knows this crazy start that Corbin Burns had to the year. And he's kept it up. His ERA is under 2.2. He's been fantastic. And then game three, Sunday night, Lance Lynn versus Brandon Woodruff. So I, I hope we see these two teams kind of uh, play this like a playoff series because that's what we're getting with these pitching matchups. And I know me personally, I'm very excited. It's going to be a joy to watch. I was going to ask you a follow-up question about the NL Cy Young race because I know you mentioned Woodruff and Burns who could be factors. But as I'm looking around some sites right now, it doesn't look like that market is up. And I'm guessing that has a lot to do with Jacob deGrom's injury, who was the heavy chalk for NL Cy Young, but also the favorite in the all-star break to win the NL MVP. So um, I can't even, you know, maybe take a flyer on one of these Brewers pitchers for Cy Young because it's not being offered. I guess maybe when DeGrom comes back, it will be offered. But if he comes back soon, then he's probably going to kind of coast to that award as long as he doesn't have another setback or injury. Yeah, definitely. I think that the DeGrom injury definitely makes everything a bit murkier. Um, I don't know if you guys had seen on Twitter, there was a, a ticket circulating of Shohei Otani and Jacob DeGrom parlayed to win MVP. And it was like $500 to win a crazy amount of money. And everyone was asking if they should cash out. And I know I personally was one of the people that said that return with, you know, the way DeGrom's been looking and, and the potential for injury, I thought that that was a, a good idea to cash out. I no word on what they did. Hopefully DeGrom comes back and, and stays healthy because that's, what's great for the game of baseball. And if so, you got to think those are the two favorites to uh, to win this award. And if the Angels follow the race, I could see a situation where they at least shut down Otani from a, a pitching standpoint and kind of preserve him from next year just because he's yeah. had serious arm injuries. And 
uh, they might as well just try it again next year at the Los Angeles Angels and see if they could uh, find enough pitching to, to get the job done and be a contender. So, Nate, as per your background on this Skype call, you have the ACC Media Days behind you, which is a good sign because we're going to be doing ACC preview for the win totals for uh, some of these teams. And we picked a couple bigger teams that we wanted to talk about the win totals. Um, I could start with the two teams that I had. I had Louisville and UNC. Um, and I know UNC is, is going to be competing to get into that ACC championship. I think it's going to be between them and Miami pretty much in that ACC Coastal Division. But their team total right now is nine and a half. And looking through their schedule, they're getting back quarterback Sam Howell, who is probably going to be one of the best quarterbacks in the country this season uh, after coming back. Probably, I mean, top five, top ten at the very least to say uh, is pretty safe that he'll be in that respect. But they start their season out against Virginia Tech on the road. That's going to be a very tough game for them. But their non-conference games are going to is is pretty easy with Georgia State. Um, they're going to have Wofford towards the end of the year. They have Miami at home. They have Florida State at home. I think it is a very realistic possibility for them to get 10 wins this season. Um, I, I don't know if I would personally bet the over nine and a half games. It's going to be very close, but it really depends on can they get that win against Miami at home? Uh, can they get the win against Virginia at home? They play Notre Dame on the road, a team that they played close with last year in the first half, um, and then they let that game go in the second half. But I don't know if they can beat Notre Dame. If they if they beat Notre Dame, they're definitely going to reach 10 wins. But the schedule is set up for them to, to possibly get 10. And I think it's within the realm of possibility. And if we expect Sam Howell to make another leap in his development, he has a couple new receivers that he's going to have to work with. But this team is bringing back – most of their players, the offensive line, I think, is almost 100% fully back, which is huge. Um, they have a bat, bring back their defense. And we know Mac Brown, great coach, a guy who can who can scrape away wins. So if I'm leaning towards an over nine and a half, or if I'm leaning towards a play on nine and a half, it would be towards the over for uh, for UNC. Would you rather bet them at plus 130 to win the division if you think that there's a good chance to win 10 games, knowing that, Kind of that Miami game could be this the swing game when it comes to their win total, but instead of 100, percent yeah, especially yes. since Notre Dame won't count to con um, conference record this year, maybe the the division. Yeah, hundred percent. Because I mean, it's going to be between them and Miami, I would imagine. And Miami's got like Derek King, and he's coming off an injury, so you don't really know how he's going to be at least to start the season. Um, I I just think UNC has a lot more stability. They have they have their coach. They have their quarterback who they know. They have a lot of returners coming back. And in a situation like that, it's hard to bet, bet against the stability. So I would – if you do think they can hit the over, if you think they can get a 10-win season, I would – I think that plus 135 is really good value to win that division because I don't really see any other team other than Miami competing for that spot with them. And I would almost say they are the favorite. They should be the favorite to, to win that division. So – I, I think that's good value, plus 135 for sure. Yeah, and Sam Howell looks like the, about the fifth favorite to win the Heisman Trophy, which is pretty impressive because the other yeah. favorites are quarterbacks of Oklahoma, Clemson, Georgia, and Alabama. To have a player yeah. from North Carolina, which, frankly, it's a basketball school, and it's kind of odd to see North Carolina in this position where they're the division favorite and have such a high win total just because it's North Carolina football. It's it's not the uh, yeah. not the blue blood that we're used to seeing. Uh, but Mac Brown's not their basketball a, team. No, exactly. Yeah, Mac Brown's done a tremendous job recruiting, which I think a lot of people had doubts of at his age. 
Yeah, so I, I do think that the over is a pretty good play. And the over that I really like is with Louisville. And they're six and a half, I think, at most sports books. I, I think they could get eight. I, I think there's a strong possibility they get eight wins. And they had a very tough season last year. And you could blame COVID, but every team had to play during the pandemic. Every team had to play during COVID. And Scott Satterfield, their head coach, had to deal with those rumors that he was talking to South Carolina. And he had to apologize to the fan base for possibly leaving Louisville. Um, and how crazy college football is, is like, I think he said, I'm renovating my house in Louisville, so I'm here to stay, which is like the only thing you'll get from college football coaches. But I do think there is a possibility they get at least, they could get eight wins. Um, now that is on the high expectation list for them, but they start the season against Ole Miss in Atlanta. It's a winnable game for them. I don't know if they're going to beat Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. I don't think it's, it's in their cards for them to do that, especially right out of the bat, uh, right off the bat. But they have an easy uh, non-conference schedule. They have a pretty easy second half of the schedule. Um, other than Clemson, they've got Syracuse, Duke, and they end at home against Kentucky. But if you look up and down that schedule, I really do think there's seven or eight wins that they can sneak out there. They were a very turnover-prone team last season. If they fix that up, that's been like their number one concentration in spring camp is fixing out the turnovers. Malik Cunningham, their quarterback, was a big uh, culprit in, in responsibility for throwing interceptions, fumbles, and everything like that. So if they can fix that up, they're a pretty solid team. They've got pretty good returners. Cunningham has the possibility of being a pretty good quarterback. So I think six and a half, they're suffering from, from recency bias with how bad they were last season. So I, I, I think that might be one of my best bets, too, is the Louisville over six and a half wins. Um, and I, I think that's like minus 115. Yeah, Louisville, they do open, as you mentioned, in Atlanta against Ole Miss. So that should always be a fun game whenever Lane Kiffin is on the uh, on the sideline. And that game is on yeah. Labor Day night, so that Monday night isolated time slot. Um, so it will be on prime time. So that's a big big game for Louisville to try to get on the, the right foot. And if they win that game, they're a seven-and-a-half-point underdog right now. Uh, that's over six-and-a-half would look very good where they do have to play yeah. Clemson. But – as you mentioned, crossover games, playing Duke, who's one of the worst teams going into the year in the Coastal. And they also play Virginia, who's at best the like the fourth best team in that, that division. So it's, it's kind and, of a favorable uh, conference schedule outside of yeah, the, and the big game against Clemson. Their away games are fairly easy, other than Old Miss, which is it's an away game, but it's a neutral site. But Florida State, Wake Forest, NC State, and Duke are the games they play on the road, which are all four very winnable games for them. Um, they get, they do have to play Clemson. It's at home, which at least helps them maybe have a possibility yeah. of knocking off Clemson. It's <laughs> probably not going to happen, but at least they're they're at home. They have the home crowd behind them. Um, and then yeah, Syracuse, Virginia, Boston College, UCF might be a, a tough game, but they have UCF at home. So. I think the cards all align for Louisville to to get seven wins and possibly even eight. I think you could actually make an argument that you'd rather play at Clemson, knowing that that's probably going to be a loss anyway. So you get like the added home <laughs> yeah. game against a team you could beat. Although going Fair. to Clemson, you can get truly humiliated and maybe your yeah. confidence is shot. Uh, but that's just kind of nitpicking on, on a reason maybe to to worry about them that Clemson probably going to be a loss anyway and it's at home. Uh, but I kind of wonder what teams think about if like they actually rather play like in the Big Ten, would a team rather go to Ohio State and lose by 30 points instead of 20 points if they were in their uh, own backyard? 
Yeah, probably get the money when they're at home. So I'm sure a lot of them would rather sell the tickets when they're at home against a bigger team than anything that's, else. That's very true. Very true. Uh, so, yeah, Nate, you've got, what, three teams that you wanted to talk about? Yeah, and you can't have an ACC preview without talking about Clemson. No, minus 2,500 to win the division. Minus 900 to win the conference. Their win total is at 11 and a half with a little bit of juice on the under. And the reason why there's juice on the under is because week one, they play in Charlotte against Georgia in the game that will be the most talked about and previewed game going into week one. And because it's week one, we're going to hear about it a lot in August. And as the season leads up, Clemson, a four point favorite in that game. So if they win that game, they'll look like they'll be on a good track to go or 12 and 0 in the regular season, which is what the win total you're betting into. However, if they lose, then you lose your win total. So maybe, I don't know, it's a little bit risky That's going tough. 11 and a half because you feel good if they win, but if they lose, then you're ripping that ticket up, but it's going to be in your pending account until uh, the Saturday or, or Friday after Thanksgiving when the regular season ends. So um it's it's it depends on what you think of Clemson in, in that game and also what you think of Georgia, I, I guess, in terms of betting that win total, because after the Georgia game, it's pretty, pretty easy for Clemson. And part of the reason is because they don't have to play themselves. We talk about like ACC teams having to play Clemson, and that is like the what makes their schedule hard. Well, when you are that team, you don't have to worry about it. Uh, their cross division games against Georgia Tech and at Pittsburgh Saw an early line for that Pittsburgh game on the games of the year, and they're favored by 18 at Pitt. So maybe that could have been an obstacle at Pitt. I don't know, kind of a weird place to play. Not a traditional ACC school, but they're still a heavy favorite. And they lose Trevor Lawrence, but they get DJ Uwanyungalele at quarterback. So he was a five-star kid. Uh, we saw him last year at that game at Notre Dame, how good he was. And he wasn't the reason they lost at Notre Dame. It was their uh, defense that really struggled. So Clemson lost a lot to the NFL, but they're just replenishing that program. They're able to pay their defensive coordinator 2.5 million in Brent Venables, which really helps a lot because there's never turnover in terms of coaching, at least on the defensive side of the football. And the schedule just sets up really nicely because the arrests of the ACC Atlantic is pretty, pretty soft. So that's kind of the handicap on Clemson. They still, they replace uh, the greatest quarterback in program history with a top tier talent. And as long as Dabo Sweeney keeps recruiting, they're going to be a factor in the college football playoff race. Yeah. Never a bad thing when you pay Brent Venables that much money because he is legitimately the craziest coach in college football. Yes. He missed his kid's birth, I think, for a game. I think, isn't his son on the team, or is that Dabo's son? I, uh, I, I also know Kirk Herbstreet's yeah. Herb son is also on Clemson. They they have, like, 100 players, and when they're up big in games, they give, like, every kid a, a snap. So uh, <laughs> I guess that's one way to try to convince kids not to join the transfer portal. Uh, I'll move on to Florida State, who used to be Clemson's big rival in the Atlantic, and they've really kind of fallen in terms of comparable of Clemson. And, I mean, Florida State – won a national title in 2013 and eight years later in an ACC, that's not very good. Their win total is five and a half. Uh, Second year head coach, Mike Norvell, who came from Memphis after taking Memphis to a lot of success in the AAC, a big change at quarterback though, Mackenzie Milton, who we lost last saw on the field in the end of the 2018 season. He suffered a really gruesome, brutal knee injury at UCF. Uh, He's, 
slated to to start for Florida State, and they don't have much depth at the that position. So a lot's gonna be on his shoulder as and seeing if he could master the Norvell offense, who's definitely an offensive mind, and if Florida State could kind of start their way back to relevancy. It's gonna take a long time, especially just how bad they've been, and it's not as a desirable a place for recruits anymore. So it's kind of a big season for them, I think, to get to that bowl game, which is why win total five and a half. If they can get to a bowl game, six and six for most Florida State fans might be a disappointment. But in the eyes of the odds makers, that'd be a, a great a great season for Florida State, especially if you look at their schedule. They open hosting Notre Dame uh, week Oof. one, which is I mean Notre Dame's losing a lot of production, but it's still it's still a you know a top. 10 team in the country. Yeah. Uh, then the crossover games are against Miami and North Carolina, which by far are the two best teams in the ACC coastal. And then they end at Florida who also lose, lose a lot, but there'll be probably significant underdogs in this game in that game, although it is at the end of the year. So maybe they figure out some things, but that schedule pretty That's tough, tough schedule. state, especially because they're in the same division as Clemson. So they're not one of the coastal teams that, can maybe avoid Clemson every uh, or two out of every three years. They have to play Clemson every year. They have to play Florida every year because of the in-state series that's signed. And this year they get Notre Dame because out of Notre Dame's uh, five ACC teams are required to play. Florida State's one of them. And then out of the two teams in the other division, you get the top two teams. So in terms of like strength of schedule, um, they're probably the second hardest schedule behind Georgia Tech uh, for me. Uh, because Georgia Tech has to play Georgia and they have to play Clemson this year in a cross division matchup. So Florida State, very tough schedule, which is why I would stay away from the over five and a half, even though they still have talent. It's Florida State, but there's just a lot of uncertainty with Mackenzie Milton and maybe just some of the stuff off the field of Mike Norvell that we saw manifest last year that there might be, I don't know, some trust issues and don't want to go too much into that because I'm not plugged in at all what's going on at Florida State, but I think it's going to take a, a a long time. But a bowl game would be certainly a, at least a, a goal that I think the uh, coaching staff should strive for and people who bet over Florida State will hope that they uh, can hit that goal. A team with that big of a question mark, too. It's, it's tough yeah. to confidently say they're going to hit their over because – you just don't know the type of turmoil that might hit the team in the middle of the season. They might take off. I mean, they might have everything click, but it's tough to put your money on something like that when it's just not proven at this point with the coach and the players. Yeah, there's a lot of unknowns in college football. I'd, I'd say Florida State is one of them, and with the schedule that they're dealt, I would I would stay away. If, if they had an easier schedule, uh, I would you know maybe a buy low on a on an elite program. But if they had an easier schedule, their win total might be. Uh, six and a half or seven, which is where the second best teams in terms of win totals, highest win totals, Wake Forest and Boston College are. And a lot of that is dictated by the win totals for both teams. Uh, and then the third team I want to talk about, and it's Florida's in-state rival. They're in another division, Miami, win total of nine. It opened nine and a half. So there has been some money on the under on the U as Ben just flashed up on the screen. Uh, their <laughs> division odds plus 135, UNC's plus 130, so kind of a a coin flip there. And I'm pretty sure I think these teams are equally matched. Uh, maybe UNC with a little bit of an edge because that game 
uh, when those two teams play in October will be in Chapel Hill. Another team with a quarterback that is coming off an injury that happened most more recently, it was De'Ara King, the Houston transfer. He tore his ACL in the Cheez-It Bowl uh, against Oklahoma State, so not sure really why he was playing in that game, but that's a different conversation for another another time, maybe closer to bowl season. But King did say at ACC Media Day that he will be a full participant in the fall, which is a promising sign. The problem is maybe hold him off for week one when they have to play Alabama in Atlanta. Alabama, an 18-point favorite in that game. So I could see, obviously, Miami probably will lose that game. Now you have to think of how will the team rebound from that because Alabama has a way to sometimes humiliate teams, especially when you give Nick Saban nine months to prepare, eight months to prepare. So we'll have to see what happens with Miami, who's a team that always kind of has extra hype of because who they are. I remember they made that run in, in 2017, and there was like the U is back, all this stuff, and they kind of fell off, and then the next year fell off, and Mark Richt was run out of town uh, at his alma mater. So there's always a little extra hype. And at, at nine, I, I would actually look under on Miami and think they're going to lose that game to Alabama. They're going to be underdogs against North Carolina. And we kind of like North Carolina this year. So that they just have to lose another game um, for me to at least push. So I don't think Miami wins 10 games. If 10 games is going to beat me. I would look under, especially in a division that historically is so wide open. There was that stretch between 2013 in 2019, where seven different teams out of the seven won the Coastal Division and represented the conference or that division in the ACC title game. So there's could be a game where Miami slips up against a team like Virginia Tech or maybe a, an improved Pittsburgh team. So I, I like the idea of going under on Miami, uh, especially if De'Ara King maybe is a little bit hesitant after the ACL tear and is kind of thinking ahead of the NFL and, and they lose enough games where they're out of the division picture, conference title picture, and definitely the national title picture. Should be a fun ACC season, I think. I think you'll have a lot of the competition in that coastal division. And I mean, Clemson is going to be Clemson, you know, that they're, they're always going to be the winning team in, in that Atlantic division, but coastal will be fun. You got North Carolina, you got Miami, um, and I know, you know, Virginia is supposed to be kind of that middle of the road team, but they are always a team that could surprise you in terms of making a run. So, they, I mean, they, they're always in it, too, until they show us they aren't. So I, I think it's going to be a very fun ACC season. We might see a potential national champion come out of the ACC in Clemson, but it, it'll be a fun season for that for that conference. Yeah, I have a, uh, a question for you guys. We talked yeah. about Nate touched on them just barely at the end. It's uh, my guy, Pat Narduzzi and the uh, Pittsburgh Panthers. Uh, do they got a chance to win the Coastal at 10 to 1? They get both Miami and UNC at home. So, uh, I mean, Heinz Field, you know, that's that's where they play. So what do you guys uh, what do you guys got for my, my Pittsburgh Panthers? Yeah, I think I mentioned them as a, a team that has to play Clemson, which is unfortunate for them. I, but I think that also maybe creates a little bit of, of value if you think Miami and North Carolina aren't going to meet expectations. And I mean, Pittsburgh could go eight and four and have enough on tiebreakers, especially if they beat those two teams to win the division. So potentially they have an experienced quarterback in, in Kenny Pickett, who uh, has been at the program since 2017. So Maybe there is something with Pittsburgh, who have a pretty tasty non-conference game week two at Tennessee. So 
Al probably teaches a lot about what Pittsburgh is. Um, not the biggest Pat Narduzzi fan, though, personally. That's a guy who likes to kick field goals on fourth and goal from the two down four in the fourth quarter. And he's done a lot of questionable things. And that's just what happens when you have a, a defensive minded head coach in a era of football where it's uh, a lot of passing at offense and needing to score, uh, not just to win football games, but to attract talent to the school, which is not the case with Narduzzi. He was playing to cover the three and a half. Yeah, didn't they miss that field goal too? Yeah. If, if I remember <laughs> the game against Penn State, yeah, that was. And then they didn't get the ball back. That was infuriating. For no, I don't think I had a bet in that game. It's just infuriating that in college football, where there's so much variance, t- uh, coaches end up playing conservatively when be aggressive and, and test the test the defense, especially if you have belief in your offense and your quarterback. So that was our ACC preview. I think, Nate, you made a good point about the the division winner. Um, I I like North Carolina over nine and a half, but instead of making that, probably just bet on them to be the division winner at plus 130. Um, You get better numbers. um, And and if they get 10 wins, they're most likely going to win that division. Um, And then kind of like you said with Clemson, if you like the Clemson under for the team total or for the uh, win total, I think you just bet the Georgia Bulldogs at plus 155 for that game instead of the plus 100 that that yes. just seems like the smarter bet because that's the game they're going to lose yeah exactly I mean I think Clemson they they'll be a double digit favorite in every game and sure they can have a slip up it's college football but that Georgia game is the is the real test and if that Georgia game was on the schedule the Clemson win total would be juiced to the over at 11 and a half where there'd be favorite to go 12 and 0 so um, yeah, if you want to fade Clemson there, I, I think actually it's more like, do you like Georgia? Do you believe in Georgia? Because we kind of know what Clemson is, especially because we saw a little bit of DJ last year. Uh, but it's going to be a, a question if you like Georgia. If I had to take a bet in the ACC, and it kind of correlates to Ben going North Carolina to win the division at plus 130, Miami under nine for me. Uh, if they beat me, they'll have to win 10 games, and so be it. But with the opening game against Alabama, a road game at North Carolina and potential landmines around the way. And they do return a lot of players, but they do have a quarterback coming off an ACL tear who we expect to be ready to play week one, but who knows if he is able to be healthy enough to do so and be able to play to his full ability. Let's do best bets. Best bets for the weekend. We don't have any NBA games to talk about, unfortunately. But uh, we do have plenty of sports still going on. MLB, I've got some MLS bets, some Olympic bets. We've got a lot of best bets to talk about. And Rizzo, I know Nate and I did a lot of talking for the uh, college football, so you will start off uh, best bets. What are some of your best bets? Awesome. You know, there wasn't much. I'm not a big look into the weekend and find something I like. I kind of go day by day with it. Uh, My favorite bet on the MLB slate tonight is the Tampa Bay Rays and the Cleveland Indians under nine and a half. Uh, the Rays are starting Luis Patino, who has, he, he was up this year, highly regarded prospect, and he really struggled with command, wasn't able to get outs consistently. They sent him down to AAA. 
something's clicking. He's really been figuring it out. He's been down for about a month and a half with, I think, one spot start in between. And uh, it sounds like he's going to have a chance to stick in the rotation. He's facing off against Cal Quantrill. Uh, I like both of these starting pitchers. I think that their their peripherals and their metrics are better than what their actual numbers look like. And uh, I see an under happening here. So I'm locking in Rays, Indians, under nine and a half. I'll go with my Olympic bets. I uh, can't believe I'm doing this, but I'm I'm not a <laughs> normal uh, MLB better, and NBA's over, so had to find something. So this could be small bets. Don't bet too much money on this. But the first one, Saturday morning early, probably when you wake up, unless you have too fun of a Friday night, you'll you'll miss this. But maybe you do want to miss this and just hope to uh, check your phone and and hope it hits. <laughs> but we're gonna take the U.S. Women's National Team. Minus three on the Asian handicap against New Zealand. Uh, if you haven't heard, the Olympics have already started, at least some sports, uh, and soccer being one of them. And the U.S. women were stunned. They lost 3-0 to Sweden in their opening group match. I expect a full bounce back performance from the U.S., knowing they need a win. And also it would help to be able to win by margin for goal differential in terms of that being one of the main tiebreakers in, in group play, which is what we're in now. So I like the U.S. to maybe win 3-0, get us the push, but I could also see them really blowing out New Zealand, who lost 2-1 to one to Australia in their first group match. So I'm going to take the U.S. women minus three in soccer, uh, not, not basketball. And <laughs> in basketball, though, middle of the night on Sunday, I'm going to take a game between two teams that beat the U.S. Uh, men's basketball team in exhibition play. And I'm going to side with the favorite, Australia, minus 7.5 against Nigeria. I just think there's a little bit extra hype and overhype that Nigeria beat the U.S. as 30-point underdogs. And Australia, pretty solid team, led by players like Joe Ingles, Matthew Delavadova, Dante Axum. They have NBA players who could you know, play, and especially at the international level, a lot of pride with Australia. So I like Australia, minus 7.5 in a game that's – I believe at 3.30 a.m. Sunday morning, uh, middle of the night, uh, central time. So we'll do that with two Olympic bets, small plays. Uh, make sure to check out the, um, the tweet in the thread of this video so I can kind of clearly state what it is so you know exactly what to bet. This isn't as easy as the game six under where, you know, you can easily <laughs> find it. You might have to go through a few pages on your betting app before finding out how to play these bets. So uh, those are the two for the Olympics I like as we uh, have the opening ceremonies tomorrow night. I'll have a middle of the night bet for the yeah. Olympics. It's great. Sometimes it's better. To. Sometimes it's better not to watch the game, honestly. <laughs> yes. I found that out with the Korean baseball during quarantine. That was Oof. losing a lot of money. So I was happy yeah. I didn't watch those games. Uh, I'm, I got some MLS bets for best bets, and I was heavy on the Columbus crew last season. They they made me a good chunk of money, but I have to fade them this weekend. They play the Atlanta United in Atlanta, um, and the reason I'm taking Atlanta United plus 110 on their money line, the United are a much better team at home, and the crew are just terrible on the road. Their last two road matches, I think, they were shut out in both of them. Um, and they've been shut out a, a few times on the road this season. They're a much better team at home than they are on the road. And Atlanta's a much better home team than they are on the road. So with that math, I'm, I'm taking Atlanta United plus 110 on the money line. Um, another MLS bet I'm taking, and this was a serious discussion that we had before we started recording, but it's between the Chicago Fire, Toronto FC. Um, I was thinking of doing both teams to score no draw, 
But Nate, you convinced me to take the Asian line total over three um, at minus 105. So both of these teams, high scoring teams um, and the fire are at home. They, they tend to score more at home and, and Toronto has had three, four goal matches as well. So I'm taking the over three on the Asian line. And if you're really feeling risky, you can take both teams to score, no draw. Um, so the score has to at least be two to one um, and, and a team has to win. So three goals scored and a team has to win. So if you're really feeling, I think that was plus 115 uh, for the uh, for the line on that one. And then I'm going to take a, an ACC win total, Louisville over six and a half. I really do think they have a shot at eight wins. Um, I think they at the very least get to seven wins, and I think they shake off last season's terrible one and four start. Everything looked mismatched for them. The, the coach was in disarray looking at other teams. The, the quarterback had turnover issues. But I think this season Malik Cunningham gets it together. Satterfield has a team that he says he really likes. The chemistry is there. Everyone kind of plays for each other. He said the program almost runs itself at this point. So I am I'm high on what Louisville can do this season. So I think seven to eight wins is not out of the question. So I'm going to take their over six and a half wins at uh, minus 115. And I think that'll do it. Quite a, quite a diverse offering on the, on the yeah. last bet. And you mentioned the game is in Chicago, the MLS game where you like the over, are you going to uh, attend the game or is that another game where you're just going to put the phone down and hope like at halftime, it's a one, one or two to one already. And you at least get the push. I think it'll be the latter, but it, I, I don't know. It's it's tough going to games where you bet just an insane bet like that on, and that would be uh, that'd be a terrifying way to spend a night. But it could be fun if tickets are uh, are cheap enough. But I do I do have confidence that there will be a good amount of goals scored in that one. And you never want to be that guy like ruining a, a kid's time. No, you like, don't. Soccer game ever, just yelling, and, and the his yeah. the kids' parents are annoyed, and they have to like move <laughs> sections or something. Yeah, you, you don't want to be ruining a 10-year-old kid's first soccer game by yelling at the guys to score a goal <laughs> in the last right. 10 minutes of the game. That's so what sports we'll books see. are for. That's what sports books are for. Yes. If you have that emotion, just go to a sports book because you'll be around a lot of people who will have the same uh, ideas and maybe you will accept your behavior. As yeah, opposed the to degenerates. The you, just, you can just say it. That's yeah, where the, all the degenerates are. It's perfect. Yeah. Um, so we're excited, but that'll do it. We'll, we have some fun bets for the weekend. So good luck to everyone. Uh, we'll be back Tuesday. Um, we'll be back. We're, we may go to once a week starting in August, just with fewer and fewer sports going on and ramp it up once football season starts to three times a week. But we still have the Big Ten to talk about. Uh, we still have the Big 12 to talk about. So a lot of a lot of win totals to talk about, Nate. Yeah, definitely. And we we're, we'll see maybe Tuesday, maybe Wednesday. I think it's going to depend on the NBA draft because that's a, a yeah. market that moves a lot. So we might actually wait a day to kind of see if to get as much information as possible, because by Thursday morning, the day of the draft, a lot of stuff will move. So uh, just check out your podcast feed. We'll be there uh, when we are. But we'll definitely have a lot of NBA draft talk next week, as that's kind of the the tent pole event in the sports betting calendar um for the end of july yeah we're excited good luck to everyone today tomorrow into the weekend and uh, we'll see you next week 